1: So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds, like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. and thank you for joining us for A Mindful Moment. There's never been a better time to build your mindfulness skills. Mindfulness not only improves your mental, emotional, and physical well-being, but provides a foundation for remaining calm during stressful challenges and events. Through mindful thoughts and actions, we can do more than just survive life's challenges. We can continue to thrive. The key to becoming more mindful is simply practice. We hope this podcast will provide you with knowledge, inspiration, and motivation. Working together, we can learn and grow from any experience. So, let's get started. Well, here we go again in Southern California. After 119 days, we're pretty much back where we started in March. I think there's a similar line in the movie Jurassic Park where the characters work really hard to get out of the car a dinosaur is attacking only to end up right back in the car. Shortages on PPE, testing equipment and hospital beds and now we're about to be shut down again. I know many other states in this country are in the same boat and of course countries around the world are grappling with many of the same issues we are which aren't just health-related, but major economic challenges. Israelis are protesting over their government's virus response as unemployment hits 20%. 1.9 million people have tested positive in Brazil, landing them in the second-biggest outbreak in the world behind the U.S. And just like here, their low-income and indigenous people are the most impacted. Colombia's largest cities are going back on lockdown. A new study shows Mexico's virus has plunged 16 million people into poverty. Caracas, Venezuela is back in lockdown due to rising numbers. And on and on. I felt the collective punch to the gut earlier this week when L.A. County announced that children will not be returning to school in August, but instead all learning will be remote. I don't have any children at home anymore, but the impact of such a decision is going to be tremendous. And again, it won't just be here in Los Angeles. While I think we all recognize that kids need to return to school for learning purposes, socialization, and to ease the stress on parents so that they can return to work, I agree with the decision. I love kids, but they are little germ mongers, and spreading the virus further is not going to serve us economically or health wise in the long run. But holy cow! The number of people who will now be out of work is staggering. Cafeteria workers, food and catering workers who provide the meals for students, bus drivers, janitors, after-school program workers, maintenance engineers, security guards, and I'm guessing, teaching staff. I don't bring all of this up to depress us, but to begin to scratch the surface of what we're really experiencing. A global pandemic is a serious event. And since we haven't been able to get it under control in many countries, it is going to continue to disrupt our lives substantially. And it is going to lead to permanent changes in how we live in ways we can't even conceive of yet. We see a lot of resistance around the world, from refusing to wear masks, to protests against governments shutting down cities, to COVID parties where the first person to catch the virus wins a prize, to massive government and political blaming instead of accountability. Some behave this way in order to avoid the discomfort of confronting the reality of the situation, or more accurately, the uncertainty of the situation. It makes some of us feel better, at least in the short term. We're wired to avoid pain and discomfort, so I have no doubt these behaviors will continue or even intensify. The funny thing is, we're creating a lot more suffering for ourselves and others we are understandably upset about this difficult situation, which tends to lead to angrily questioning how unfair life is or how wrong other people are. We then resist or fight the current situation, bringing on feelings of distress about our pain. This dilemma is so common that long ago, Buddhists created a formula to describe it. Pain times resistance equals suffering. Pain is unavoidable in life. But the suffering is completely optional. We create most of our own suffering. It's absolutely painful to lose your job, but it's the uncertainty of what you can do next that causes the most pain. How do you find a job if your industry is shut down? How do you find a job when there are 40 million other people out of work at the same time? Consider everything we're facing right now and you'll see a trend. What if I have the virus? What if I can't get tested? What if my kids can't go back to school? What if there are shortages of necessities again? What if I lose my business? What if I have to let staff go? How long will this last? The massive uncertainty we're dealing with is extremely painful because our brains are not wired to accept uncertainty. So instead of really dealing with the issues at hand, we resist to avoid the uncomfortable feelings. And that is what creates true suffering, because we're not moving forward. We're stuck in trying to fight something that isn't fightable. What's a better, more mindful approach? Psychological flexibility and resilience. If you're not feeling like you have enough of these, don't worry. They aren't traits you're born with, but are behaviors, thoughts, and actions that can be learned by anyone, and fortunately, mindfulness is one of the most powerful practices to strengthen these skills. We discussed resilience just a few weeks ago and how you can strengthen yours, but I think we need to add flexibility to our toolbox, as I believe these two combined are the most important skills we can develop now to ensure that we can thrive through the constant uncertainty we're living with and will be for some time. You may recall that resilience is our ability to adapt and bounce back when things don't go as planned. Psychological flexibility, also known as adaptability, is a person's ability to focus on their current situation and take appropriate action towards achieving their goals and values, even in the presence of challenging thoughts, feelings, and memories. People demonstrating psychological flexibility base their behavior more on their values and goals and less on their internal events, like uncomfortable feelings or the current situational contingencies. Mindfulness strengthens our adaptability because it allows us to focus on our difficult internal events mindfully. When taking a mindful approach to internal experiences, we aren't wasting mental energy on trying to control and regulate psychological experiences. So instead of resisting how scared, upset, or angry we're feeling by projecting them onto other people or events, We non-judgmentally observe what's going on inside and apply self-compassion and healing to the real pain we're experiencing. The suffering component doesn't need to be added into the mix at all. Another approach to increasing our adaptability is looking at the contrast. The opposite of flexibility is rigidity. One of the reasons we get stuck in rigidity is because our brains are wired for judgment, analysis, and problem solving. Someone who is rigid feels threatened by change and new ideas, whereas someone who is adaptable feels excited by continuing to move ahead. With a rigid mindset, we think we already know the answer to a problem or what a new situation offers. While there are certainly situations where there is a good reason not to change something, Having psychological flexibility provides the ability to balance closely held values with responsiveness in the face of continuous change. Ask yourself whether there are any areas in which you might be rigid. How could you handle things differently if you were more adaptable? Just pondering these questions is going to increase your adaptability. Adaptability is key not only in the context of our day-to-day interactions, it plays out as a skill that's needed on a global level. Rigidity fuels a great deal of conflict around the world. It shows up as self-righteousness in politics, religion, and the economy. It can also lock people into very competitive, win-lose approaches that value dominance over collaboration. Notice any of that happening lately? Rigidity freezes us in suffering and minimizes our ability to think creatively. Judgments create suffering that only hurt us and not the people or institutions we're judging. Resilience helps us move forward, and flexibility helps us create options. I've used this quote before, but I think it bears repeating. Charles Darwin said, It is not the most intellectual of the species that survives. It is not the strongest that survives but the species that survives is the one that is able to adapt to and to adjust best to the changing environment in which it finds itself. The truth regarding the pandemic is this. No one knows. We've never done this before. Experts and politicians are going to make mistakes. More people will get sick, and unfortunately more will die. We need to look inward and pay attention to our own instincts. My common sense tells me wearing a mask is a good idea. Yours may tell you the opposite. We don't know for certain who is right or wrong, and that really shouldn't be the focus at this point. We probably won't know until years after this ends how it really worked, what the health impacts are, what the total economic toll is, and how to address it differently if it returns. That means that for the next year or two, we will be facing uncertainty on multiple issues on a daily basis. By working on loosening our rigidity and observing our judgments, we can learn to go more with the flow, whatever direction it takes, and we can open up towards more compassion for ourselves and others. Instead of fighting with each other over who is right or wrong, we could all focus more on solutions to make life better for everyone under these difficult circumstances. It's only our minds that really get in the way. I asked today's guest, Dr. Gail Gazelle, about her thoughts on some of this. She is an assistant professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and associate scientist at the Brigham and Women's Hospital. As one of the leading physician coaches in this country, she has coached over 500 physicians and has been featured on such diverse media as Bloomberg Businessweek, Medical Economics, the Physician Leadership Journal, the New England Journal of Medicine, CNN, and ABC News. Her book, Everyday Resilience, comes out next month. Welcome, Gail. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you about some of these topics because we've been covering some of these in the past few weeks in response to everything that's happening in the world. One of the things that I wanted to sort of tap into your wisdom about is that I know even for me personally, and I practice mindfulness, of course, but I am struggling with judging. I know where it's coming from. I mean, you know, I'm looking at people who are refusing to maybe wear a mask or politicians that are arguing about things or the big debate about schools you know, kids going back to school. And I keep finding myself judging. And of course, I notice it. And then I judge myself for judging. <laughs> and so I just wondered if you could share some of your wisdom about how to manage that judging mind that just gets going.
0: Wow, that's such a great question.
1: Yeah, let's face
0: it. Our, sometimes our minds can really be like human judging machines. It, we know that the human mind produces twenty to 50,000 thoughts on an average day. And when we start being more mindful and intentionally paying attention to that, we realize just how many of those thoughts or judgments about ourselves, about someone that we're interacting with, about somebody that we interacted with yesterday, or about our circumstances. And we all do it. It's perfectly normal. So there's nothing wrong with our mind being a judging mind. It's just that sometimes that takes us down to kind of dark alleys and keeps us from seeing the good in ourselves and in the people around us. So as you're saying with mindfulness, that's fantastic that you're aware of your judging mind. That is the key because if we're not aware of it, how could we possibly expect our mind to do something different? We have to be aware. It's almost like a diagnosis for me as a physician. We have to see what the mind is up to, diagnose what the mind is up to, and then we can work with our mind in a kind way to shepherd the mind and train the mind to look more for the good. Because after all, the judging mind, it's just the negativity bias that we know from an evolutionary standpoint served us, you know, uh, a long, long time ago, but now it really trips us off. So I think that's the key. Um, I don't know what you think, but I, I find that's the key, just being aware and not judging the judging, because then we just pile on more of that judgment that we're trying to get away from. And it, it actually doesn't serve us particularly well.
1: No, I do agree with that. It becomes a cycle. You know, I I catch myself judging, then I judge myself for Mm. judging. Then it's almost like Mm. judging myself for judging myself. Just and I feel it starting to spiral. So then I have to stop and get recentered and try to reframe and
0: when we can step out of the judging, there's so much goodness that's there. I've really noticed that with myself. I was on a loving-kindness meditation retreat a couple of months ago, just before the pandemic hit. And we really practiced stepping out of judging mind and just stepping into the goodness. And I noticed when I came back, I was walking the dog one morning, and I was kind of reciting loving kindness, may I be happy, may you be happy, directing it towards somebody that perhaps I was having difficulty with. And I was just so struck that before that retreat, I would have been walking the dog and I would have been having some conversation that was in my mind that was full of judgments. Why did she say what she said? Why doesn't she go do something different, you know, with how she's dealing with her teenager? I would be so trapped in judgment. That juxtaposition was so clear to me because when I was more in touch with the loving kindness, I had so many good feelings toward that particular individual. And I think I could be a much better friend to that particular person when I'm rooted more in goodness than in the judgments.
1: Very true. Very true, and and I do think the loving kindness meditations are so powerful. And many of our listeners have practiced them because we've done it through this program. So that's great advice. That's wonderful. Another thing I wanted to talk to you about is, um, you know, we do workshops and now webinars, actually, and webcasts since we can't go anywhere yet. I understand Boston's doing a little better than Los Angeles. We're pretty much stuck at home again right now. But we've been focusing on resilience and psychological flexibility. And the real reason behind it is we're hearing so much feedback about people's anxiety that seems to be around all of the uncertainty. And so we're trying to get people to quit looking at at it as an event happening and more as this is sort of the norm and we need to learn Mm -hmm. how to better respond to it. And I know that you actually have a book coming out next month called Everyday Resilience. So congratulations on that. And Thank you. I was wondering if maybe in the meantime, since the book's not out yet, if you could share some practical advice or techniques people could use in the meantime to help them really build on that resilience so that they can better manage the events that are occurring.
0: Yeah, so important, isn't it? We, We kind of have this myth that life will be certain. You know, for so much of my career, I was a hospice physician, so I was dealing with people who were terminally ill who had been dealt a really difficult hand, so to speak, you know, they and their loved ones, and really had to face the fact that life wasn't so certain, after all, you know, people who found out that they were terminally ill and wouldn't go on to have that lovely retirement plan, traveling, moving to somewhere, you know, with their spouse, and we have this illusion of certainty, and that, like the judging mind, I find, really trips me up. And I feel like it trips other people up as well, because life isn't certain as much as we would like it to be. So I think a lot of living with uncertainty is reminding ourselves that a basic law of nature is that everything changes. Everything is impermanent. We are all of the nature to grow older, at some point to get sick. And we know that our loved ones eventually will die. But We try to avert that, and I think our society is very good at kind of pushing that away and creating this mythos, but it doesn't serve us well when we're actually facing the kind of uncertainty that we're facing now. So I I think it's another area where we just have to remind ourselves, this really isn't so different. Life always was uncertain, and we've done okay with that uncertainty. We've actually managed it. And even as we think about another surge potentially in the the COVID-19 pandemic, we can look back on the last few months and see that we actually did manage that uncertainty. And how can we apply those same coping strategies and mechanisms as we move forward as a way of helping us as we feel anxiety about not knowing this, that, or the other thing? It's an effort. It's kind of brain retraining that we're involved in. And that's a lot of what mindfulness is, is really that awareness and working with our minds so that we don't suffer unnecessarily around things like the inevitability
1: of change and uncertainty. Very true. Is there an activity or reflection or an exercise that someone could do, like something simple, but to really sort of start building or strengthening their resilience?
0: Oh, my goodness. There are so many, really so many. I think one of the most important exercises is a very simple one. It involves pausing. So you're feeling anxious. You're worried about the kids, whether they're going to go back to school or whether you and your loved ones are going to be safe or about your livelihood, normal concerns. And your mind starts racing, really going into some anxiety and potentially even some fight or flight. You're really wrapped up in an anxious state. If you can just be mindful and notice, oh, there goes my mind again. And take just a very brief time out. And in that time out, perhaps take three slow, deep breaths. It's a way of dampening the anxiety, dampening the fight or flight response, and kind of grounding you back in the reality of the moment. It also, taking those three deep breaths, brings you out of your mind. And our minds can really be kind of crazy at times. Brings you back into your body where things are typically much more safe, brings you back into the present moment. So taking a pause and using that pause to take three slow deep breaths can often be a game changer. I don't know if you found that. I certainly have.
1: Yes, I use a lot of breathing exercises and many Mm. more than normal in the last four months. (laughs) So yes, Yes. yes, I do. And
0: they're and they're very helpful.
1: They are very helpful. So one of the things we've been asking each of our guests on the podcast is twofold. One is to reassure anyone, even someone brand new to mindfulness or who has never, you know, pursued this kind of a sort of path before that it's not a fix all. We're all human. We all have human emotions. Uh, So it's to really reassure people that, you know, it's normal to feel what you're feeling and all feelings are valid, but mindfulness can help you better deal with or manage things the more you practice. And so the question we're asking all the guests is: You must experience anxiety or stress sometimes mm. yourself, and when you do, what is your go-to? What is your practice to get yourself recentered or regrounded or calmer when that happens?
0: Mm. That's such a good question because uh, just to respond to what you said at first, we all can become anxious. We all have emotions. We're human beings. Emotions are part of our life, and. What I find very helpful is being kind to myself in those moments. Sometimes when I'm aware that my emotional temperature is rising and that anxiety or worry or fear is setting in, I've learned to just put my right hand over the area of my heart and say to myself, it's okay. In a kind, gentle voice, it's taken me a long time to learn how to do that. I had to reverse long-standing patterns that many of us have of going to judgment. Why am I feeling this? I shouldn't be. What's wrong with me? So now I just try to pay attention and notice and put my hand here, feel the same warm touch that I would give, let's say, to my son, you know, in loving and affection. And just to simply say to myself, it's okay. That almost invariably brings down my temperature. And you know what? It's easy, it's
1: free, and it's always available to me. Absolutely. That's great. I know that you coach physicians. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious, this just popped into my head, uh, because I'm involved with a lot of different mindfulness organizations, and we've all been talking about the huge increase in interest in mindfulness since the pandemic started. And I was wondering if you're seeing that in the medical field as well. Are doctors more open to mindfulness practices than they might have been pre-pandemic?
0: Without a doubt. It's been a sea change. Even three, five years ago, the the word mindfulness, you know, people might snicker a little bit. Oh, what is that? That's for gurus. You know, we doctors don't do that. But it's really been wonderful as our general society has accepted and in fact embraced all that mindfulness has to offer. Doctors and nurses and other healthcare workers are catching on. So at many hospitals, there are mindfulness programs my state medical association produced and, and used a lot of my meditations because they knew that during the time of COVID, physicians would need these kind of resources. So in every institution now, mindfulness is really the norm. So I think it's, it's fantastic that it's coming to healthcare and being seen for all the tremendous value it can really be offering people.
1: That's wonderful news and very hopeful because I agree. I think that they may need it more than anybody, especially during Mm, this right now. That's right. They're under so much stress. And I'm I'm also thrilled. I mean, that's, I guess, a good side effect of what's happened is Uh that so many people have been more open and it's something that can serve them forever, not just in a crisis. That's very helpful to hear. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, my pleasure. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sure our listeners are going to be very appreciative of the information and will watch for your book, which again is Everyday Resilience. And again, something else we all need during these times. And this is the best time to start building something like that. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's really been a pleasure. Stay safe. Thank you. You too. I love that Dr. Gazelle said that taking deep breaths brings us out of our crazy minds. We all have crazy minds at various times throughout our days, but we can always return to the present moment, which is a safe moment. Just pause, breathe, and find the good or compassion or empathy or gratitude or any other emotion that lifts you up instead of pulling you down. We've made it this far, so, there's no reason to believe we can't make it through to the pandemic finish line. We just need to mind our minds. We definitely need to take a deep breath. Sit or lie in a comfortable position and breathe in through the nose. Hold for a count of one, two, three, four, and slowly exhale through the mouth. Let's repeat, breathe in, hold, two, three, four, slowly exhale. Close your eyes or soften your gaze and breathe normally, simply noticing how your breath feels. Let's focus on letting go. There's no need to try to control our thoughts or feelings. There's no need to try to control external events. Whatever is occurring inside or out is just whatever it is. It is what it is. I don't need to resist it or control it. I can focus on what my next steps are based on what I value and need, my creative abilities, and on what will best serve me and those around me now. Letting go of all of those internal and external events that I cannot control. allowing in whatever thoughts and potential actions I can take. Accepting that uncertainty is the way life works. I don't need to fear it or resist it. I simply need to accept it and recognize that I can continue to thrive in life regardless of external events. Return your attention to your surroundings. If you're well, feel gratitude for your health. If you're unwell, feel gratitude for your healing. As you go through the rest of your week, regardless of what you hear or what occurs, remember how blessed you are to be here and to value the miracle of life's experiences. Life offers too many rich opportunities to just survive it, even during challenging times. Our intention is to support you in thriving through a life of purpose and meaning. Until next time, remember to be mindful. To learn more about Dr. Gazelle's work, visit her website at www.galegazelle.com. Dr. Gazelle's book, Everyday Resilience, practical guide to build inner strength and weather life's challenges is available for pre-order now and will be out on August 11th. To watch any of our interviews from the podcast, visit our website at worktoliveproductions.com. Please subscribe to A Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Please rate this podcast so that others can find us and follow us on social media at worktolive. A Mindful Moment is written and hosted by Teresa McKee. The Spanish version is translated and recorded by Paola Tile. Intro music, Retreat, by Jason Farnham. Outro music, Morning Stroll, by Josh Kirsch, Media Right Productions. Meditation music, The Dark Glow of the Mountains, by Chris Zabriskie. This podcast is produced by Work to Live Productions.